MSW Media. Well, pour yourself a glass, sit for a spill. It's time to have some fun. Let's do a little thinking, some picking and a drinking. But this is what we're drinking with Dan Dunn. Kalai King, everybody. Give it up for him. Hey, welcome to the show. What we're drinking today is Jameson Bow Street 18 Years Cask Strength. Not a cheap whiskey. It's about 270 bucks a bottle, but it is an intense and elaborate whiskey. Weighs in at about 55.3% alcohol by volume. That's over 110 proof. It's made without the use of chill filtration. Yeah, flavor profile is kind of identical to the original Jameson 18-year-old, uh, which came out back in 2003. That's only an 80-proof whiskey. Uh, the key difference between this one and, uh, well, besides the price, the key difference is that 30-plus proof extra oomph, which translates into more heat, density, and savory notes. And with St. Patty's Day coming up, what self-respecting tippler doesn't appreciate a little extra oomph, huh? Eh, I'm heading to Ireland. Uh, in fact, by the time this show posts, I'll be there in Dublin. I'm going to go up to Belfast. Uh, I'm going to record at some distilleries over there, and you'll get to hear all that in future episodes. Um, coming up later in the show, me and our pal Emmy-winning writer, comedian Tom Caltabiano are going to chat with Seth Benheim and Cameron Stevens of the uh, forthcoming L.A. Spirit Society podcast. Seth, in particular, is an expert on infusing spirits, infusions. And, in fact, he owns a place in L.A. called The Infusory. So Seth is going to explain to us in pretty good detail how to infuse spirits so you can learn and do it at home. It's a really, really informative uh, segment, and I hope you stick around for that. Uh, But first, in the spirit of my trip to Ireland, I'd like to tell you the story about how one of its most famous cultural exports, U2, helped change the course of my life at a time when I desperately needed it. Better fortify myself with some Jameson for this. Ah, Here we go. Um, I was raised by a single mother in Philadelphia. She was a hairdresser, and we lived in a tiny little apartment on top of a pasta shop in a rundown section of the city. This part of the story begins when I was about seven years old. I don't know how much my mom made cutting hair at Oliveri's barbershop, but it can't have been much. Oliveri's was a no-frills place with a blue-collar clientele. I'm guessing a haircut couldn't have earned her more than a couple bucks. So every Wednesday, we took the bus to the welfare office. I remember because I always got excited when it came time to pull the cord to let the driver know we wanted off at the next stop. Pulling the cord was important. You controlled the whole goddamn bus, if only for a minute or two. 
And let me tell you, I was really good at pulling that cord. Figured I might go pro one day. Uh, But that dream fizzled when my mom got an old beater of a station wagon and we stopped taking buses everywhere. About three weeks after we got that station wagon, someone smashed out the rear windshield to get at the precious bounty inside, which was a carton of cools. We had that car two more years, but my mother never replaced the rear window or stopped bitching about losing those cigarettes. But, silver lining alert... By taking out our rear window, the Cools Thief transformed our piece-of-shit wagon into a piece-of-shit winter wonderland, at least from January to March. I mean, the kids in my neighborhood used to say my mom was so poor she went to Kentucky Fried Chicken to lick other people's fingers, and that she married young just to get the free rice. But for me, a little ridicule was a small price to pay for being able to build snowmen in the back of the car while rolling down I-95. My grandmother wasn't a particularly nice woman, and her nickname was The General. And she had a nickname for my mom and I as well. She called us the wards of the state, because that's the loving thing to do when your daughter is on welfare and food stamps. So The General relentlessly chided my mother for wasting what little money we had on Catholic school rather than sending me to public school for free. But my mom wasn't hearing it. The way she saw it, Public schools were breeding grounds for degenerates and criminals. Catholic school meant I had a chance. A job that didn't involve mopping up floors or fixing cars like my bum of a father. Maybe even college. Look at John F. Kennedy, my mother always used to say. This is America, goddammit, and no matter who you are, if you work hard, you've got a chance to become successful enough that someone wants to splat your brains all over the back of a Lincoln convertible. For years, my mom harbored a dream that I would pursue a career as a mortician. When I asked why, she said, because people never stop dying. Practical woman, my mother. So now let's jump ahead to my teenage years. And when Rattle and Hum, the U2 concert movie, came out, I was so excited. I went to see the very first showing they had at the GCC Northeast Cinema. Philly's Irish runs deep, so that place was packed with more than a few telltale pitch, you know, beard cabs popping. As the mostly underage crowd popped the beers, they'd stolen from their parents and took surreptitious swigs from pint bottles of Jameson, which I'm drinking again here, coming full circle. Hmm. Shit, two fights broke out before the trailers even started. The second between the original fighters and the people who'd been trying to break them up manager came in tried to reason with us he got as far as shouting you know fighting's not gonna be tolerated and and then he realized he was way out of his depth when people were booing him into oblivion beer cans flew at his head and he took off rattle and hum was directed by phil joano and is a collage of live footage studio outtakes and band interviews that u2 guitarist the edge described as a scrapbook which i found a bit puzzling as the scrapbooks i made as a kid tended to contain more bottle caps and fewer giant stadiums filled with screaming fans. Uh, They also didn't cost several million dollars to produce, usually. Reviews of this film were mixed. Some saw it as U2's shining moment, when they seized the mantle as the world's biggest rock band. Others thought that the gospel choir was a little much, and that Mr. Down and Out in Dublin might be developing some kind of messiah complex. It was a turning point for a lot of fans. Those who wanted U2 to remain small and scrappy were disappointed with the changes. Others just couldn't resist the music they were making. 
Bono can be without a doubt a pompous, self-aggrandizing parody of himself, but motherfucker can sing. Adopting all those babies, uh, AIDS babies didn't hurt either. That was him, right? Uh, in the years since, the band's been through a lot, but I think you have to give it to them for just not stopping. Those same four guys have been playing together for nearly four decades. And sure, their last few albums have been so-so at best, but they're still not doing badly on the Mick-O-Meter. As I write this, the Rolling Stones have sucked for twice as long as they were amazing. And I'm being generous and leaving undercover in the good bucket. You too, on the other hand, put out unbelievable records for 20 years, and they've been more than mediocre for the 20 since then. As far as I'm concerned, they're still in the black. Now, Rattle and Hum is not the best thing U2's ever done. That would be the rendition of Bad that closed their 1985 set at Live Aid. Bono wears a mullet and a pirate shirt. The Edge has hair. If you haven't seen it, you gotta YouTube that shit. Seriously. Pause this and YouTube it right now. But anyway, I'm not here to defend Rattle and Hum's artistic merits. I'm here to talk about what they did in that movie theater that day for me in Philadelphia. First of all, they shut the room right up quick. The crowd started chanting, you know, start the show, and the trailers come, and and then, uh, you know, when the trailers were on, people were like, fuck off, fuck off. But when the movie's opening shot came on, there was a brief bout of cheering and excitement followed by complete obedient silence. Except for the guy who shouted, dick, at the top of his lungs when Bono came on screen, but pretty sure that guy got pummeled. So the first half of the movie... Everything's in black and white. And there's some good stuff in there. The band in Harlem recording I Still Haven't Found What I'm Looking For with a gospel choir, uh, a visit to the legendary Sun Studios in Memphis, and an emotionally charged performance of Sunday Bloody Sunday at Madison Square Garden. But a lot of it shows a shift away from the nervy energy they had on Boy and the Unforgettable Fire. It's hot, but it doesn't quite burst into flames. Then about an hour or so into it, the film fades to black, and for a few seconds there's silence. I recall wondering if the movie had ended. I could feel my disappointment curdling up into rage. Then I heard the opening strains of that familiar choral-like sustained synthesizer, the wall of sound intro to Where the Streets Have No Name off the Joshua Tree album. And then words in white appeared over black. He said, Sun Devil Stadium, Tempe, Arizona. And then there's a drum kit on a riser, silhouetted against a red light. And one by one, shadows of each band member flashed across the backdrop as they took the stage. Adam Clayton, Larry Mullen Jr., The Edge. It was the sound of the synthesizer steadily rising. Larry Mullen hits the hi-hat, smacks his drum together, setting the beat. The Edge picks a few teaser notes like chimes before unleashing a repeating six-note arpeggio driving with the drum beat. White lights begin to strobe on stage. The camera lingers on the Edge Bono enters the frame behind him. The crowd at Sun Devil Stadium roars, as does everyone in that movie theater. My heart is beating faster. Something's going to happen. Something big. 
The Edge starts strumming his guitar faster. Larry thwacks the hi-hat several times in rapid succession. Bono yells as Mullen hits the kick drum. Adam Clayton thumps the bass and with a burst of sound and color, propulsive pre-verse arrives. wide shot. All the house lights go up. My chest was pounding. Up on the screen, a hundred thousand people bouncing in unison to the rhythm of this delirious anthem. It sounded to my ears like a joyride to heaven. did want that. It was a shamanic moment. These four people had channeled all the energy of the universe down through my skull in a white hot lightning bolt of knowledge that lit me up from the inside, projecting out through my skin and bathing the walls and the savage truth of me, a giant complex quiescent set of information, ideas, consequences, and actions immediately perceived in toto showing me precisely what was happening to me from a single perfect observing point outside time and space. I wanted to run. I wanted to hide. I wanted to tear down the walls that hold me inside. I wanted to get the fuck out of Philadelphia. It's all I can do, Bono sang, directly to me. And I knew it would not happen today, nor tomorrow, nor next week, nor next month. It didn't have to. I would, beyond a doubt, be getting the hell out of this place. It was all I could do. I had no idea where I was headed. Tempe looks friendly, I thought. Like it might be pretty close to some nameless streets. But where wasn't important. What mattered was that I wasn't stuck. I didn't have to stay here. The bus driver would let me off wherever I wanted. All I had to do was reach up and pull the cord. It had been over my head the entire time. I'll forever be grateful to you two for where the streets have no name. Even 30-some-odd years later, it reminds me that wherever I am, whatever I'm stuck in, whatever my current crisis, it doesn't have to be forever. I'm the one driving this car. I'm the one naming these streets or ripping down the signs others have put up. It's not abuse. It's mental illness. It's not tragic. It's unsurprising. It's not love, it's a hole you're trying to fill. It's not heartbreak, it's the pain that was always there. Sometimes I wonder how my life would have turned out had I not gone to see Rattle and Hum that day. Then I remember I wasn't saved by seeing Rattle and Hum. I was saved by not going to see Tom Hanks in Punchline. Sometimes you don't know you're 
dodging a bullet. This is Ed Lee, and you're listening to What We're Drinking with Dan Dunn Podcast. Thank you. <laughs> How's that for a transition? Um, so, I, uh, as I teased earlier in the show, um, Tom Caltabiano and I went out to the Infusory in downtown Los Angeles to talk to Seth Benheim and Cameron Stevens. They're of a, a podcast that's going to be coming up called the L.A. Spirit Society. I'm on that show. One, one of these days. Uh, really fascinating guys, a great place. And this segment is about, um, about infusing and doing it at home. And I think anybody who likes, especially vodka, I think we kind of focused on vodka, but I found it fascinating. And uh, you know what? Let's get into it. So I am uh, in downtown Los Angeles. I am by the intersection of the 10 freeway the five freeway which is one of the most beautiful neighborhoods in all of los angeles joking it's a very industrial area, <laughs> well it's, but it's you a, know it's, it's the a arts nice district spot. it's good uh i'm at a place called the infusory and with me right now uh one gentleman who regular listeners of the show are familiar with the great tom caltabiano tom how are you thank uh, dan uh, i'm very good and thank you for inviting me and it is an industrial area, and it is two yeah. of the busiest highways in the country. It is. Intersect here. Good point, Tom. Yeah. Thanks for bringing that up. Yeah. I feel like I heard that before. <laughs> but, uh, and also with me from the Spirit Society podcast, Cameron Stevens and Seth Benheim. Is it Benheim? You got it. Benheim. That's the one. I'm not messing your name up. No. All no. Right. If you went like Benheim, Benheim. I, I'd say tone it back. But Yeah. Uh, Seth and Cameron, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Uh, I am thrilled to be here. This is a beautiful space. Uh, the, the, the room that I'm in is, it's got the brick. It's very, uh, what would you, how would you describe the decor, Tom? Industrial and modern touches. It's, I would say of your podcast, Dan, this is up there as the nicest place <laughs> you've ever been. It's one of the nicest places. And what adds to the decor yes. is the fact that there are, one, two, there are like eight shelves full of whiskey. Full, hundreds, I would say, are there hundreds of bottles? Uh, we got about 650 bottles right now on the wall. 650 bottles of whiskey. I can't believe I can still speak right now. That's how excited I am. But yes, and there's just tons of stuff, a lot of which I've never heard of. I, I try. I try. So, so Seth, tell me a little bit about what you're doing here at the Infusory. So the Infusory is our office slash tasting room that's going to open up in downtown LA Arts District. And this is sort of the, call it headquarters of our business, which is Infused Spirits Group. In that business, we make infused spirits, the vodka and bitters, and we make broken barrel whiskey. Okay. And you have some of the broken barrel in front of me, in front of all of us, and we're going to drink that in just a little bit. I want to I pick your brain a little bit because the infusion fa- uh, thing fascinates me. Is it difficult for someone at home they, to get a bottle of vodka and, and infuse it? Yes and no. I think there's recipes that people can quite easily they can fuck it up pretty bad. But we follow some simple, simple rules that kind of keep us on track to make stuff that's going to be very popular, widely received, and sort of not too polarizing. And even even the stuff we've launched in recent years, as, as far back as 2017, 
we've launched stuff that I think were still bad choices. So simple rules has to look good, has to smell good, has to taste good indefinitely on the shelf. So things that are going to break apart like fresh fruit kind of rule out unless you have a way or some sort of device that's going to allow you to pull that fresh fruit out. When we're putting stuff out into the world that has fruit in the bottle that is not going to be pulled out and it in some cases can't even be taken out without breaking the bottle, you have to think about what recipes are going to be shelf-stable indefinitely. When you're doing it at home, you use a mason jar, you can strain it and you can so put yeah, I'm fresh having, fruits I, Let's say stuff. I'm having a party at home and I come to you and I say, Seth, I want to impress my guests. I want to take a bottle of vodka. So let's, what, first step. <laughs> Get good vodka. Give me a vodka. <laughs> so when I started the company, we would go out and like, I would go buy the most, I was testing. I was testing things out. So I'd buy the, like the Costco cheapest handle I could find and I would make Kirkland what, or yeah, something. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Kirkland or even worse than that. Okay. Even the stuff you can't even name. Kirkland was a step up yeah. and we would make these vodkas and even the recipes, they weren't bad recipes, but the vodka was shit. So the infusion was shit. So you got to start, you know, with something clean. I and go good. out and I get a bottle of Reka. Great it's vodka. One of my favorites. Great vodka. I, a vodka from Iceland. So I've got a bottle of Reka. Exactly. And now I come to you and I say, Seth, what can I do? I want to do something special for my guests when they come over where they're going to taste this vodka that I've infused. I don't want to spend a ton of time doing this. And you don't have to. What do I got to do? You don't have to spend time. Give I me mean, a flavor. Cinnamon. Great. Ooh. You can break a little piece of cinnamon off. And, and the reason I say cinnamon or things in that family are going to be dried spices are easy. They're cheap. Uh, you can buy them in small or large quantities and you can make a lot of flavor come off of a very small ingredient. You can use one cinnamon stick to flavor several bottles of vodka if you have enough time in advance to let it sit and age and macerate into the vodka. So I, I take a cinnamon stick, I put it in the bottle. Or not a whole stick. You, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't use a two or three inch long stick for one 750, way too much cinnamon. Okay. Especially if you're going to let it sit there for a long period of time. If you're just trying to get that cinnamon vodka to take flavor in 72 hours. Yeah, you can do that, but you need to kind of pour it and drink it. Cause if you go 72 weeks, you're going to have this dark black spirit bottle. It's not going to taste all that good. By the way, do you, you know what I like that you just saved Dan, like a lot of experimentation by already going too much cinnamon already. And I think Dan's yeah. looking for the simple, first of all, you hit a good Dan trait, which is cheap. Yes, yeah. cheap that, well, and, and easy. But, easy. I, but I, think, I think it is daunting to people to try to figure out how you do it. So let's say I want to do a citrus. I want to do a citrus. I want to do a uh, cherry vodka. Oh, yeah. Well, cherry's easy. I mean, you can actually use, because it's a very small uh, contracted fruit, it's not going to break apart. So you can throw cherries in there. You might get a in little... In the bottle. In so the bottle. break them up a little bit? Just... I wouldn't break them up. No, I'd leave them whole and try and get them down the neck of a bottle or if you're doing this in a mason jar, you can do it that way. But really, when you're coming up with a recipe, and one of the rules I forgot to mention is nothing green. I don't do anything green. No cucumber, no mint, no Why? cilantro. If you do fresh green, it becomes white, then brown, and gross. And it will really... <laughs> remember, the rules, look good, smell good, taste good. So if it doesn't look good after a week or two, we, we as a company won't touch it. We don't even... We don't go near it, Right. So nothing green ever from infused well, why spirits. Is that? So I, I think I've had cucumber flip, but that, artificial. That's, that's just artificial. Okay, you can't <laughs> Nine, really do it. Ninety-nine out of hundred times, it's artificial. So we're doing the cherry, 
Am I refrigerating? And let's say I put it in a mason jar. You can cold infuse in the, uh, you can cold infuse in the freezer. So That's a seven, one way to do it. 750 bottle, a regular bottle. How many size cherries? Bottle, how many cherries you putting in there? A dozen. A dozen cherries. A dozen, no more. And then you would put it in the freezer. No, I wouldn't, but people can. You can cold infuse uh, something. What's it, the difference? Um, you're going to actually extract a different uh, amount of nutrients and, and flavors from the fruit itself. And it'll take the process a lot longer. So if you have something that you want to really, it's like cold brew coffee. You're going to get different flavors out of a coffee bean at a cold extra- extraction versus a warm extraction. And is so, there a time difference too? Like, is it? Oh it yeah. Yeah. Right? You can hot infuse. I mean, so we do all of our bottling in and infusing in North Las Vegas. It's like a hundred degrees most of the time. So you're basically getting these flavors to extract in almost like hyper hyperspace it's like it goes super rapid fast so we can actually put i did a one hour time lapse one time on instagram sped it up to 20 seconds and you can watch a lemon peel drop into a bottle of vodka and take hold uh, and turn the entire bottle yellow in one hour from start to finish. And it's almost ready to drink at that because point. Because of the heat. Because of the heat, yeah. 100 degrees will do that. Can I? Can we go back to the Dan example? You got the vodka. You got cherries. Because now let, let's walk away, Dan, with something useful that I will do as soon as I get home. Of course, <laughs> all we want to do You're is like, I'm ready to vodka. do this. <laughs> I think you bought cherries on Tom, Amazon right now. I call Tom often and I say, you know what I could go for right now? Some cherry right. vodka. Yeah, and then I hang up yeah. and I go. I You're like, I'm on it. I hope he's okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, but so you, you, get the, you get the cherries. It's room temperature. Dan's got the party coming up in... 24 hours. Ooh, not enough. More cherries. How? Uh, push, more, push, 24 hours, you need more cherries. Or push the party. Or move the party <laughs> back two weeks and really give it a chance to, to fully, fully infuse. Most ingredients have three stages. Uninfused, infusing, and infused. And it's done. And most things, unlike certain ingredients, have only so much to give. Things like coffee beans and tea leaves, you want to stay away from those because those actually have a bittering quality after like 72 uh, hours. You don't want to have something three, four, five days like coffee beans. It'll turn very, very bitter. You need a way to pull that out like a fresh fruit infusion. So that's just my take on infusions in like five minutes. So I, yeah, <laughs> but I would say this, Seth, off of this, because you know, yeah. it's just like when Dan knows so much about booze, okay, and mm-hmm. spirits and all this stuff, but you clearly know so much about infusing. So if Dan and I, like, hey, we're going to make a fresh cucumber, basil, cilantro infusion, you'd go, Sounds let me awesome. save you some time. Everyone's going to laugh at you because you've now made you, something that's going to be horrible. You're the one that called me to <laughs> have what cherry bacon? vodka. What about bacon? I've done the meat infusion with jerkies and other things. I don't like them. I stopped doing them immediately. It's not something I've gotten into. I've maybe only done a handful, like five or six. And never made one that anyone else liked. I don't know exact. I mean, fat washing is a whole thing. And people sure. are fat washing these vodkas and whiskeys and stuff. An employee of mine had fat washed a bourbon with uh, peanuts, for example. But you can do that and freeze and the fat will congeal, rise, scoop it out, filter it, cheesecloth, all that. And you can actually get really good flavors, uh, enjoyable, palatable flavors from meats and things that have high fat, high oils. I don't do that. I don't, I, we try to, our focus is single bottle infusion. So infusing within the bottle, indefinite shelf life, flavor that's as good on day five as it is on day 50 as at year five. And I've got bottles from 2012 that you can open them up. You wouldn't even know they were infused seven, gotcha. eight years ago. Do you want to hear the single worst flavored, uh, spirit i've ever had 
I might have a better it's, one on the shelf, but it's, it's gone. Right. It's gone. It's no longer available, sadly. Sold uh, out. <laughs> he bought them it was all. called, uh, <laughs> no joke, Ivana Bitch. So mm. like Ivana, Ivana Bitch tobacco flavored vodka. Ooh. Ivana Bitch. Ooh. It tasted like somebody done, that it was made to taste like it was infused with an ashtray. Well, here's what Oof. I've got garlic up on the shelf. I've got oh, Pervac no. garlic. I've got Pervac horseradish. These are two separate bottles, too. Where is this from? Where is that from? Pervac? I'd say Eastern European. I don't know exactly, so I don't want to say it. Because have you um, ever had, I think it's Brenneman. What, what is from Iceland? Uh, Brennan, Brennan, yeah. Brennan. Uh, from Iceland, yeah. That's not so tasty. Not good at all. <laughs> yeah. And also, one of the biggest selling liquors in the world is the Chinese uh, Baiju. Is Baiju. It? Yeah. yeah. Do not like Baiju yeah. either. I'm not that, a fan. Yet, it's the biggest. Most people have never tasted it nor heard of it yet. I think it's either the number one or second most popular you know, liquor in the world. And not there so tasty. There are a lot of people that have bad taste in this world. <laughs> well, I think for the American palate, it <laughs> yeah. doesn't fly. Do you know Tom wrote for Everybody Loves Raymond, by the way? I did know that. I did know that, yeah. Seems completely irrelevant I'm to this subject. I'm not that up for <laughs> any reason. Well, Transition. It does give me license to, to oh, make jokes. I'm kidding. That's for me to try to make jokes. But... Sorry, Seth, to to cut you off. Uh, why? Because I brought this up before, not not on mic, but I have a friend. He had an orange tree in his front yard, and I said, "Let's make orangecello." And we're expecting it. He goes, "Okay, sure." And we're expecting it to be terrible, right? Because you can't make you can't make cognac in your house or you know brandy really good, you know. So we make it. It's phenomenal. We taste it. We go, this is so much better than we can buy in the store because it wasn't cloyingly sweet. And basically, we took a very high grain alcohol, shaved with a rasper with a microplane, the oh, nice. outside of the orange. Yeah. Okay. So no, no pith was in it. And then... That's a bittering part. You want to get rid of that. And okay. We, we do the same thing on all of our vodkas. Okay, yes. great. Great. So then we put it in a jar, let it sit, you know, on my front porch for, for until we forgot about it, then added, you know, simple sugar. But why is that so much better than, you know, because I wish I could make what you're, you know, we'll obviously get to your bourbon, but I was blown. I'm like, why can't I make my own other spirits that are as good or better than I can buy in the store? I think when it comes to adding flavors to a grain alcohol, like a vodka or even taking a gin a step further and adding more flavor to an existing flavor of a gin um, or rum or tequila, you know, whatever. Y- your fresh is better. It, you, you read about it in, when in culinary aspect, it, your fresh is always going to be better. And that's kind of our approach to vodka uh, and our vodka line and our bitters line is we use real whole fresh ingredients. We don't add any artificial flavors, colors, sugars, anything. So when you open up a bottle of like Absolute, you're going to smell it and you're going to get this artificial punch in the face this perfume kind of chemically thing going on and that tastes a lot more like the candied version of something whereas our stuff is always going to be more like the fruit itself because it's using the fruit itself so in that sense you know and why can't uh the big players make fresh slow it's expensive um yeah because you guys do everything by hand yeah we do and like you've gotten approached by people who are like hey if you add these certain you know chemicals you could ramp up production and you've, go, you've no, turned that no. down we've, well, we ne- yeah we, we never even put that on the table it's like we, we would never the whole concept has always been natural um and then you have you know i've got i've got odka o-d-d-k-a odka mm-hmm. electricity flavored vodka 
which is like blue raspberry or something. But I find there's... that shocking. Yeah. <laughs> kill exactly. the mics. Kill, kill Dan's mic, at least. If that's, if that's the taste of what's to come. That's the most shocking thing I've heard since Tom said he had a friend earlier on the show. <laughs> oh. That made, like, oh, that, that is true. I did say I have a friend. You did. But right? wait, what is in the, uh, the Otka? It's blue It was berry. discontinued, I can tell you that. The brand went out of business. <laughs> no. Went out of business, too. Uh, by the way, Seth, and then the guy the from flavor. Odka and yeah. the guy from Ivanovich, they then started a club in Vegas. And yes. It's killing it right Called now. the <laughs> Losers Who Haven't Seen a Vagina yeah. Club. Uh, the, oh, you can edit that out. Um, uh, or not. Um, oh, I lost my train of thought. Oh, Seth and Cam, you probably don't know this. Dan would know this, maybe. But there was when Dan is always at Tales of the Cocktail and we were hosting the uh, competition Spirited or, Awards Spirited yes. Awards and we did a parody of a real vodka which was German and they poured the vodka over a naked model's breasts and then bottled it true, I, re- I remember true. that vodka yeah, yeah. That was, yeah. it was called I actually the name's gonna come to me but yeah they marketed it that way that it was poured over super every bottle of the brand, yeah. yes. Oh, every model, every bottle went over a model, and so <laughs> uh, they sh- and they show. And I'm thinking, isn't there some safety? Health code. Yeah, yeah, some health. And this code. was pre Me Too, by the way. You know, like they uh, it was pre Too. Back then, you could sell. Yeah, I went over. That doesn't sound like the government had knowledge uh, of the process, but... Yeah, I mean, maybe the reasoning is is the alcohol's killing off anything that might be... Well, I knew a guy that made a cocktail trouble. using breast milk, human breast milk. Oy. He actually got his hands on some and made a cocktail with how it. how creepy... It's, <laughs> what kind of weird fuck do you have to be to be like... In some circles, though, I that's killing this it. vodka that... Is what? Was on a supermodel's tits. Well... As if that matters at all. Okay, now you're using logic where... I mean, that's true. They did get publicity, and we are talking about it on your podcast. Listen, guys, I want to thank Cameron Stevens, Seth Benheim. You're hitting it hard. Dan, you're hitting it. The thing that he said not to... Okay, acceptable. You really leaned into that. Benheim. Not Benheim. 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 Why would you add Tom Flem and... Tom <laughs> When I say Tom's name, I always say... Caltibiano. That one's good, I though. tap into my inner no. newscaster, you know, whenever they say, like, an, an ethnic-sounding name. They're like... They're, the newscaster's always, like, the whitest Midwest people of all of time. Of course. And then they go, and then let's go to our friend Tom Caltibiano. Yes. <laughs> Tom Caltibiano. Very good, Dan. Who wrote for Everybody Loves Raymond, a show I love. Trivia. Yeah, well. But true. We'll see you again on the show, Tom. And uh, I want to thank you guys for having me here. All the wisdom. Uh, L.A. Spirits Society podcast. I'm going to be on there. So check me out there. And I'm going to uh, drink some more of this whiskey right now. Yeah. Thanks, see guys. That. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Delicious. Good times. Delicious stuff. And there you have it. <clears throat> now you know how to infuse vodka. You're welcome. I don't know why I put the sad trombone in there. Maybe it was that story I told earlier. Uh, I appreciate you listening to it. Um, I want to remind you to check me out at the imbiber, T-H-E-I-M-B-I-B-E-R. That's my handle on Instagram and Twitter. And I invite you to leave me messages, ask me questions, I got a lot of time on my hands. I'll answer or respond, whatever you need me to do. Again, as I mentioned, I'm off to Ireland. So the next couple of shows, we're going to be getting some people with Irish accents, which I love. 
Uh, and I'm thinking it's going to be a lot of fun over there, and I hope it translates to a lot of fun for you guys. Um, I want to remind you, as always, to drink responsibly. Drink responsibly. That means don't overdo it. Just have some fun. I want to thank Seth Benheim, Cameron Stevens of the L.A. Spirit Society podcast. I want to thank Tom Caltabiano for being a good guy, good friend. It's always there when I need him. And I want to thank you. Always, 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 I am indebted to you for tuning in and uh, keeping this thing going. It's getting bigger every week, which is very cool. Uh, check me out on the Adam Corolla show. I think it's going to be March 10th. I'll be on Corolla talking about Irish whiskey. Oh, the music's back. <laughs> I love it. Anyway, that's all I got for you, friends, and I'll see you next time.